Welcome to Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into account your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. So today, Shawnee, we're going to be talking about dividends. So a dividend, of course, is a cash payment from a company to a shareholder. As a shareholder, you are an owner of the company. So the company that you own is giving you a portion of their profits as a cash payment. So Seems pretty simple. Can we just leave it at this, Shawnee? Yeah. Should we just turn off the mics? Yeah, exactly. We've done it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but maybe we should we can talk a little bit about the controversy around dividends. So if you speak scandal, to- Scandal, Shawnee. Yeah, scandal. Exactly. If you speak to many investment professionals, they'll tell you that dividends are not only irrelevant, but also that they're poor capital allocation decisions made by management and that it leads to bad tax outcomes for investors. So let's start there. Capital allocation is a classic bit of jargon used by the investment industry. All it means is the decisions that companies make on how to spend the money that they make from their goods and services that they sell. So to put this in personal terms, it's the same decisions that all of us make when we get our paychecks. We get to decide how we spend it, we can save it, we can spend it on a variety of things, or we can give it away. So what can companies do? They have decisions about where they spend their money, which we'll talk about during this podcast. So they can buy back shares, they can pay down debt, they, they can acquire other companies or they can reinvest in the business by hiring people, building new factories, investing in research, etc. So many professionals believe that the best thing for a company to do is any of the other choices other than paying a dividend. And the reason they say this is because a company can get a higher return through the other choices. And they're also concerned about taxes. As an investor, you pay taxes on dividends. If the company chooses to undertake any of the other avenues available, for example, Choosing to put that money into their research department instead, it means you pay taxes when you choose because you're not earning income from dividends that you have to pay tax on. If the company does this, it means you're only paying taxes when you sell your shares. So Mark, knowing this, maybe you could talk a little about why dividends still might be a good choice. Well, Shani, there's an old expression that a bird in the hand is worth two in the tree. And I picked that expression especially for you, Shani, because of your fear <laughs> of birds. So would you like me to tell the story? You go on. Okay. Well, if I get any details wrong, let, let me you know. know. <laughs> so you had a you had a bad experience with birds when you were growing up, and it involves some mean classmates, a <laughs> bag of chips, and what at least you've been describing as the single largest concentration of ibis in history. Yeah. So basically what happened was we were going on – it was for my economics class um, in year 11 – maybe. Um, you're 11. How do you remember and what class it was? Because we were going to the RBA oh, as okay. an excursion. Okay. And so we showed up at the RBA and there was some sort of emergency. And I have no idea what it was. Like, but... like a monetary emergency <laughs> yeah. or the building was on fire? <laughs> no, like they were just like, we can't do it today. Everyone's occupied. Um, and yeah, so we had a free day in the city. I live quite far out from the city when I was younger. So we had this day in the city where we went and sat in Hyde Park. We got to buy fruit from wherever we wanted to buy it. And some of my classmates bought hot chips and decided to throw it onto me as a joke. And I was just engulfed by ibises. So many, I couldn't even put my hands on the ground to get myself out of this situation. Wow. And so that has instilled this fear of birds. Yes. 
Okay. Well, I mean, it's a good story. Like, not very nice. What did you do afterwards? Did I you... powered. I don't know. But like uh, the, rest... the rest of this is a bit of a blur. But like just... the rest of the day, did you like play it cool? Did you cry? Did you flip out at your classmates? I think it was pretty hard to play it cool after <laughs> my reaction to this. So. Okay. So you. So you cried. I didn't cry. There might might have been some screaming. Screaming. <laughs> Hyde wow. Park, which is quite common. So. Did you, yes, yes. I walk through it every day. Did you hold this against your classmates? Uh, I'm still friends with one of them. Really? Yeah. So, do you ever bring this up? I do. I do. And what's what's the reaction? Normally laughing, but okay. Yeah. Should we get back to the episode? I guess so. You this back is to dividends? Traumatizing me again. Okay. So. Well, Shawnee's going to be huddling under the desk for the rest of this, but I'll be talking about dividends. So. We're going to talk about the difference, and the whole point of that little expression was not just to bring up Shawnee's trauma, but it was also to talk about the difference between theory and practice. So in theory, the management of a company is completely rational, and every decision is based on one thing and one thing only, what is best for shareholders. But we know that isn't real, just as we know that investors aren't rational. So we know that most people like certain things. They like perks a nice office, a headquarters in a fancy building, flying business class. We also know that people like to be important. And importance when you are a CEO or an important senior manager is about running a bigger company, having more people work for you, making important decisions. So basically empire building. So as a shareholder, these things shouldn't interest me. I've heard all the theories about how this attracts talent and leads to better investor returns. I personally just don't believe it. So what is important to me is that management makes good capital allocation decisions. And I think an important part of that is the restraint that paying a dividend forces on management. It's about shareholder expectations and having those influence investor behavior. It is also about me making decisions, letting me allocate the capital that the company I own generates. We're going to hear about how Berkshire Hathaway has never paid a dividend. But there's another side to this. Warren Buffett invests in companies, specifically insurance companies, so he can invest the float. He doesn't pay dividends because he thinks he is better at allocating capital than his investors are. And you know what? He's right. But is the average CEO Warren Buffett? Of course not. So I like dividends because they enforce discipline with management, and they allow me to decide how I allocate a portion of the income that the company I own generates. I also like dividends because it gives me the opportunity to choose what to do with them. So I'll give a couple different examples. You know, one is that I do have an account that generates dividends that I use to pay for travel. And so to me, that's how I want to allocate that capital. And also my mother, my mother retired and she is at least partially living off dividends. So those are examples where as the shareholder, I get to make choices with what is effectively my money instead of letting management decide that they want to redo their office. All right. So Shani, Let's start at the beginning, and I mentioned a term, passive income. So what does that mean? So income is derived from different avenues for different people. Labor is the most commonly known avenue where you get income from wages. Then there's income associated with investments. So rent from property, dividends from shares, and interest from bonds and deposits. Passive income is income that requires little to no effort to earn and maintain. So wages from jobs wouldn't classify, but our investment income does. 
Dividends are investment income. It's a payment made by a corporation to its shareholders, with each share receiving an equal amount of value. Dividends can be paid in additional shares of stock, so stock dividends, but the vast majority of dividends are regular cash dividends paid at predictable intervals, usually twice a year in Australia. Receiving dividends as an income is passive in nature. Okay, so when we talk about dividends and income from our investments, Shani, is owning individual shares the only way to get them? No. So there's also a type of income that's called a distribution. A distribution is a payment made from investments like ETFs, so exchange-traded funds, and managed funds. When you invest in either of these vehicles, you're likely investing in a number of assets. And these assets might generate income. And when they do, a collective payment is made called a distribution. An example of this is an ETF invested in the ASX 200. Some or most of these 200 companies might make a dividend payment to their shareholders, and these will all be collected and distributed in one payment made to you through the ETF or managed fund. It's basically the same thing, just a collective payment of all the income generated from the assets within the fund or ETF. All right. So let's talk about dividends in general. So dividends are everywhere, just like love is everywhere, according to Love Actually, Shani. Have you seen that movie? Yes. Okay. Well, that's good because you haven't seen most movies. (laughs) 90% of the companies in the ASX 200 make regular distributions of cash to shareholders, and many smaller companies also pay dividends. The yield of the ASX 200 is around 3%, which means that for every $1,000 invested, $30 of income a year will be generated. The yield increases to close to 3.6% if you exclude the 10% of ASX 200 companies that pay no dividend. Australian companies tend to pay higher dividends than foreign companies. And Australia has a higher yield than other global markets. We're in a bit of a strange space at the moment. So coronavirus has disrupted this predictable dividend that companies usually make. One of the most predictable dividends that we've seen historically in Australia has been bank dividends. Well, ANZ is deferring their their dividend this year, which means that they are not going to pay it. And that was the first missed payment since 1982. An almost four-decade run suddenly halted. We saw the same thing with Westpac. Both of these companies have paid dividends through turbulence before, including in the early 90s, where they had massive bad debts on commercial property loans that came to realization. A lot of investors have seen these payments as guaranteed income streams, but the conditions we've seen this year have shown that they're not in the same way that wages are not guaranteed. You could lose your job, or rent is not guaranteed you could have property untenanted. We discussed this in our last uh, podcast, but shares derive their value from a few components, and dividends are a component of this derived value. Companies have a number of choices in how to deploy their capital. We spoke about this, but a lot of investors have a clear preference for dividends being paid out instead of the reinvestment in the company's growth. The critical importance of dividends, as well as dividend growth, is seen pretty easily in historic stock market returns. Since 2000, the ASX 200 has returned an average of 5.12% annually. The proportion of total return that comes from dividends is 60%. So dividends are not just powerful in terms of delivering potential returns, they can also be practical in meeting your real-world objectives. They really help give investors the ability to use corporate earnings as they see fit, to fund portfolio withdrawals during retirement, to meet other personal financial obligations, to reinvest in the company that paid it, or to invest in other areas of the market. Dividends may not be the contractual obligations that a bond's interest payments are, but once it has been established, directors and managers have historically been reluctant to yank it away without good cause. 
And as investors, we shouldn't take any dividends for granted, but paying a dividend implies that a company, at least in part, has the shareholders' interests in mind. Morningstar Investor is built for investors by investors. It provides independent research and data on over 40,000 securities, tools to build and maintain an investment portfolio, and investor education resources to support you, regardless of where you are in your investing journey. Explore opportunities with our monthly global best ideas. Explore our ETF model portfolios. Plan better with two years of dividend forecasts for ASX-listed stocks. And stay informed with independent thought leadership. We've built tools to help you construct, monitor, and maintain your portfolio, including our Portfolio Manager, integrated with one of Australia's leading portfolio tracking tools, ShareSight. Morningstar has been empowering investor success for over 35 years. We're passionate about your outcomes and are here every step of the way as you achieve them. Take out a free four-week trial to access our resources. Find the details in the episode notes. We've talked about different choices that a company management can make, but let's talk about investors. When a share pays a dividend, you have two choices. You can take it as income or reinvest it back into the share. What this really is, is a trade-off between immediate income and potential compounding growth. Investments are sometimes made with the sole purpose of providing a passive income stream. This is a common investment strategy and can be appropriate for your individual circumstances. However, it is important to understand the impact of taking your income instead of reinvesting it and vice versa. Compounding is often compared to pushing a snowball down a hill. As it travels down the hill, the snowball gathers more snow. The bigger it gets, the more snow it gains on each rotation. The snowball effect shows that small actions continued over the long term can have a big impact. The same applies to investing. Compounding is simply the concept of earning a return on your previous returns and if you reinvest on your dividends as well. If you own shares in a company that is growing its dividend and you reinvest reinvest those dividends, you can accelerate the compounding effect. All right, so let's use an example here, a company with a growing dividend. We'll go with Transurban Group, who are a toll road operator. So you buy 1,000 shares on the first day of trading in 2009. The first day of trading is a low point in the global financial crisis. Australia is experiencing the first negative quarterly GDP growth in eight years, and it's a month before the introduction of the $42 billion economic stimulus package by the Rudd Labor government. We're going to look at two scenarios, one where you take your dividends as income and the second where you reinvest it in the stock. So you purchase more of Transurban with your dividends. So 1,000 shares in 2009 would have cost you $5,020. In that first year, you're rewarded with $230 worth of dividends, and by 2017, so eight years later, Transurban is offering $545 a year in dividends, and that's just in their dividend growth. It sounds pretty impressive on its own, because if you add up the annual increases in the dividend in that period, it's a total increase of 91.49%. So that sounds really good, until you realize it pales in comparison to the total increase in your income which is 126.96%. That difference of 45% or so in income growth represents the compounding of each increase building on the previous one. The day after the last dividend of 2017 is paid, so in February of 2018, the value of your investment has increased from $5,020 to $11,650, an additional gain to the income you have earned. Then, we look at a second scenario where you're reinvesting that income 
so you're not taking it in payments. We know that we've spoken about investors preferring to take dividends as income, but there are a few reasons you wouldn't. When you decide to reinvest your dividends, the cash dividend will be converted to additional shares without incurring any brokerage, commission, or any other transaction costs. If you wanted to do this for your investment, you just need to elect into a dividend reinvestment plan through your broker, which is sometimes a form, but now can be done electronically through most brokers. Brokerage is a really big cost in Australia, so this is a big positive. The second is compounding returns. So say instead of taking the dividend as income, you reinvest it back in the share. In the same time period, your initial investment would have increased from $5,020 to $17,861 which is significantly more than $11,650 earned in the first scenario. Wow, that was a lot of numbers, Shani. It was, yes. Well, good work. I'll have a drink of water. (laughs) Okay, we'll just, we don't know what's in that water bottle, (laughs) but we will find out if you're slurring your words by the end. But if you were considering those two different options that Shani so eloquently talked about, (laughs) you need to think about some of the different considerations that are going to impact which way you're going to go. And that, of course, should be your financial goals and your needs. So seeking a decent income from stocks is a good start, but it's not the final destination. It is critical for you as an investor, even a dividend-oriented investor, to think in terms of total return. Let's say you find a $25 stock that pays annual dividends of $1 a share. It's a 4% yield, which isn't too bad. But if that dividend never grows, your income return is fixed at 4% based on your purchase price. By contrast, an increasing stream of income is far more useful than a flat one in an inflationary world, and a growing dividend is likely to result in capital appreciation over time, as it will reflect growing cash flows. You can use this example across investment products, so the same principle will apply for taking distributions as income from ETFs or managed funds. You'll actually see this in practice in your super before retirement if you're not in a self-managed super fund. So if you're just in a regular retail or industry super fund, your distributions from these funds would be reinvested automatically. You're not able to elect to take this as income, so it just gets reinvested in the fund. You'll see this compounding impact over your working lifetime. So Mark, maybe you could speak a little bit about what makes a company able to pay a dividend. Yeah, quite simply, dividends represent the distribution of profits. So a company must be profitable to pay a dividend to investors. In saying this, though, there are companies that do not pay dividends because the other option is for them to keep all of the profit and invest it back into the company to help it grow and prosper further. This isn't a bad thing. It can result in capital gains for investors. Although this isn't a hard and fast rule, many growth companies tend to retain their earnings, while more mature companies resort to dividend payments to their shareholders. An example of a company that has not paid out dividends, even though it had the capacity to, is Berkshire Hathaway, which is Warren Buffett's holding company. Delivered only one dividend to shareholders since his stewardship, and over 50 years later, the share price has increased over 6,000 times. Maybe more importantly, if dividends feed into an income stream, what makes a company able to maintain a sustainable dividend that keeps paying? This was a question that a lot of investors asked after those missed bank dividend payments we spoke about. The banks were no doubt part of many investment strategies as income streams due to their reliability to pay out dividends. We hadn't seen a miss in decades. Typically, sustainable dividends are paid out by companies that have strong balance sheets, robust cash-generating capabilities, and sustainable competitive advantages. So that sentence doesn't really mean much to people until we unpack it, so let's talk a little bit about competitive advantages first. 
Economic moats is a term that was popularized by Warren Buffett. So he is probably one of, if not the most well-known investors in the world. And he was drawing on inspiration from medieval castles. A moat is the ability of a business to pull up a drawbridge to defend long-term profit and market share. And because of this, delivering excess returns above the cost of capital. So in simpler terms, they can defend their market share and profit from competitors. Companies with a sustainable competitive advantage are able to fend off the competition and sustain excess profits over a long period of time. And the great thing about economic moats is that it doesn't just protect profitability, it also suggests that if a company were to decide to make additional investments of retained earnings, they should earn a good return that may be reflected through enlarged dividend paying power. An, ex- and an example of a company with a moat is Telstra. Telstra has extensive infrastructure assets. Telstra owns or has large interests in three of only five internet protocol transit or submarine optical fiber cable infrastructure out of Australia. It also owns one of only three national intercity backhaul fiber networks in Australia, which connects all the metro and regional communications infrastructure. The capital costs required for a new entrant to replicate even a small part of this infrastructure ownership, scale and brand power would be extremely difficult especially in a relatively small country such as Australia and in a relatively mature industry such as the Aussie telecommunications market, which is low single digit compound annual growth rate over the past five years. So what that's basically saying is that it's just not a fast growing industry that entices new entrants and Telstra has such a big foothold, it just wouldn't make it worth it. And next to moats, cash is really important as well. Dividends can be paid to shareholders only if all the other financial obligations are satisfied first. Banks, bondholders, suppliers, employees, pensions, and the tax office. Being last in line in the pay line, you would typically want to see this line is not very long. Yeah. So, Mark, what are the ways that you can check and see if a company has a sustainable dividend? One is looking at the payout ratio. The payout ratio is a percentage of earnings that are being paid in dividends. So, a 50% payout ratio would mean that half of earnings are paid out in dividends. A really high payout ratio may indicate a dividend is not sustainable because any drop in earnings could put the dividend at risk. There are some caveats to this. This is where we go back to the concept of cash generated by a company. There are differences between earnings and cash. Earnings are based on accounting rules and include some non-cash charges like depreciation or amortization. We're not going to spend too much time on these concepts, but just know that a high payout rate even over 100%, may not indicate that a dividend is unsustainable if the company has lots of non-cash charges. One trick is to look at payout rates over time. If they continue to go up, it may indicate that the company is stretching itself to maintain or grow the dividend. The other thing is to look at some of the ratios related to the company's balance sheet. Balance sheet is looking at all the assets the company has and all the liabilities, kind of like a net worth statement. We aren't going to go too much into detail But these ratios on the balance sheet assess the overall debt levels of the company and the ability of the company to pay back that debt, both the the interest on it and the principal. Shani's written a great guide that includes details on all this information, which we will reference at the end of this session. So let's finish with some practical examples of dividends and how they work. So Shani, how often are they paid? So most Australian companies pay dividends twice a year. In the US, they're typically paid out four times a year. Again, dividends are not an obligation for a company, so if they decide to pay one, they'll declare their intention to pay a dividend in a public announcement. 
If we're speaking more broadly and look at distributions from managed funds because they are professionally managed, they have funds that focus on distributing income at regular intervals. They diversify the portfolios with assets other than equities, but there are funds on the market that distribute income in monthly intervals, quarterly intervals, half yearly or yearly. Investors can choose between these to suit their investment strategies. So half yearly incomes might not suit you, as is the case for most direct equity dividends in the Aussie market. So you could look at strategies that address this and have shorter intervals between payments. One of the most commonly asked questions about dividends is what happens after it's paid out? Does a company keep trading as if nothing has happened or how does it impact the value of the stock? When a dividend is paid, the stock price is adjusted down by the amount of the dividend. If you think about this, it's because the amount paid out in dividends is no longer held by the company and it's gone out to individual shareholders. All right, we need to cover off on one more concept, and that is tax. So tax is not something that we generally like to talk about because everyone has a different tax situation. Dividends are taxed as income, meaning the tax you will pay is based on the income tax bracket you are in. Now, there's a nuance with dividends. As the owner of a share, you're the owner of a company, and the company has to pay taxes on its earnings. This leads to the double taxation of dividends. You own a company that pays taxes on its profits, and then you are taxed again when those profits, your profits, are distributed to you. In Australia, in Australia, it is made up for by the concept of a franking credit. So credits for the taxes that a company pays are passed to shareholders who can use that credit against their own taxes. We're not going to get at all the nuances of franking credits, and they have become, of course, politically controversial in the past. But the basic notion was what we just explained. Franking credits can be another source of return for dividend investors. So how can you get started investing for dividends? It's pretty simple. Purchase a share of a company that pays a dividend, and then they will automatically get put into your account as they pay out. All right. So let's summarize what we went through today. Dividends are an important source of returns for investors and represent a company distributing a portion of what it earns to its owners who are called shareholders. Dividend investors generate passive income, income which involves little to no personal effort to earn. Over time, through the growth of dividends and the reinvestment of dividends, this passive income can compound. Lastly, dividend investors assess the sustainability of dividends, so that is checking to see if the company is in good enough financial shape to pay dividends, and if the cash generated by the company is likely to continue to grow over time at an adequate rate to pay out a dividend. And how has today made you a better investor? Hopefully, this reinforced the notion that owning a stock is owning a business. And as the owner of a business, you are entitled to a share of the profits a company makes. Dividends represent the distribution of those profits to you as an owner. Also, you hopefully understood that over time, the power of compounding can grow your passive income significantly. This means that the earlier you get started and the more time you have in the market, the more your passive income can grow. And we do have two different guides if you want to learn a little bit more as part of Morningstar Investor on income investing that you can review for more details. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying our show, please subscribe or rate our podcast to show your support. And you can also, of course, always email me. My email address is in the show notes. So say hi to me. Say hi to Shani. We would appreciate it. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters 
and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.